Hello and welcome to the podcast of TechU. I am your host, Andrew Degler, and today we are going to talk about mealworms, crowdfunding, unicorns, and much more. Now, here's the plan. Let's first talk about crowdfunding and then discuss two big funding rounds of the week. Later in the show, I will also play you an interview with Jaime Novoa about the startup ecosystem in Spain. So last Monday, the news broke that two major European equity crowdfunding platforms, namely Cedars and Crowdcube, have agreed to merge. And in fact, they're not just both European platforms, but they're both based in the UK, because Crowdcube's HQ is in Exeter and Cedars is based in London. And in case you don't know what Cedars and Crowdcube do, they essentially allow startups to raise funding not from sophisticated investors like VCs or angels or corporates, but from pretty much anyone. So it works similarly to normal crowdfunding like Kickstarter or Indiegogo, but instead of perks and products, the investors receive actual equity in the company in question. So far, Cedars and Crowdcube together have facilitated investment of over £2 billion in some 1,500 businesses. Some of the more well-known examples I can name here are Revolut, Monzo, BrewDog, or FreeAgent. As a side note here, I would say that for some companies like Monzo, for example, this kind of crowdfunding is more of a marketing move than an actual way to attract a meaningful amount of money. So back to the merger now. Uh, the combined company will be worth one 140 million pounds, which is allegedly the sum of the valuations of the two parties. Crowdcube was last valued at 84 million pounds, and Sitters is worth about 56 million pounds. And due to this difference in valuations of the companies, Crowdcube's shareholders will own 60% of the new company, and Sitters' shareholders will get the other 40%. Crowdcube's founder and chief executive Darren Westlake will serve as executive chairman of the combined business and the current CEO of Cedars, Jeff Kaliski, will now serve as the CEO of the new company. The deal is expected to close either at the end of this year or early in 2021, and as it happens has to be approved by the shareholders of both companies as well as the UK's Competition and Markets Authority, the CMA, and the Financial Conduct Authority. Looking at the two companies, it is actually hard not to notice how similar they are. Both work first and foremost on the UK market, and they were launched within a year from each other and have been around for about 10 years or so. And they're both raised around 30 30 million pounds in funding so far. Uh, they have almost an equal number of staff. Crowdcube employs 70 people and Cedars employs 80 people. None of the two companies is profitable. As Yahoo Finance reports in 2018, Crowdcube lost uh, 2.6 million pounds on revenues of 7.6 million pounds, and Cedars uh, lost uh, 3.9 million pounds on revenues of 3.1 million pounds. So interestingly, the day after the announcement was made, uh, Cedars published its financials for 2019, uh, showing a loss of 4.7 million pounds on a revenue of only 4.2 million pounds. So both the revenue and the losses have grown compared to the year before. So I'm not a big specialist on the UK equity crowdfunding market or any equity crowdfunding market at all for that matter, but I would guess that it's not very huge. So one consolidated player would probably 
be much more comfortable than two rivals, especially if it's more efficient than two separate operations. Uh, Crowdcube and Sitters did not give much details as to what the new company will be like, and in the announcement they said that they, I quote here, will work together to define how the two businesses will combine their teams, customers, brands, services, and technologies. The quote ends. So my guess here is that only one brand is actually going to survive this deal after all. Now, speaking of crowdfunding, almost simultaneously with the Cedars and Crowdcube announcement, the European Commission approved a block-wide set of rules for crowdfunding campaigns. So from what I understand, and I don't understand much, so from what I understand here, it means that with less regional fragmentation, it's going to be easier for businesses to raise money through crowdfunding across the continent, unlike now, when most of the platforms are largely limited to one country or one region. I will drop a couple of links on that in the show notes in case you want to dig deeper into this regulation. Now let us move on to the big funding deals of the week. First up, France-based Insect, the one with why uh, has raised 224 million US dollars, which brings the total amount of funding to date to 425 million US dollars. A notable addition to the list of investors here is the American actor Robert Downey Jr., who joined the round through his recently announced sustainability organization uh, that's called the Footprint Coalition. So, Insect, as the name suggests, farms insects. Namely, it farms mealworms, and these mealworms are apparently a good source of protein, and they are used for fish and animal feed, and also as a fertilizer. In the future, the company also wants to farm insect for human consumption, but for that it needs a green light from the EU authorities, which is yet to happen. The next big milestone for Insect, which it presumably needs the money for, is to complete its ambitious insect farm in the city of Amiens in northern France. Uh, the company says that it's going to be the world's biggest insect farm, and the plan is to have it operational in the year 2022. In addition to that, Insect is also planning to expand into the US market, which of course is also an expensive thing to do. Now, another notable funding deal of the week is MessageBird, getting 200 million US dollars at a valuation of 3 billion US dollars. This officially makes MessageBird the newest unicorn startup in Europe. The VCs in the round include Bonnier, Glean Capital, LGT Lightstone, Longbow, Moose Partners, and New View Capital, as well as the existing investors, namely Axel, Atomico, and Y Combinator. So, MessageBird, the company positions its product as a quote, omni-channel platform as a service, the quote ends, and in plain English it means that customer service reps can chat across WhatsApp, Messenger, WeChat, Google Business Messaging, Line, Telegram, as well as SMS and uh, voice services, and all these interactions with customers are consolidated into the one thread within the product. The company has also launched an omni-channel chat widget for websites, where a customer can start a chat on the website, but then uh, they can choose on which messaging app they want to get a response instead of actually waiting with an open window for someone to get back to them. So I can totally appreciate uh, this kind of innovation and uh, I would love if more websites had something like this. 
So MessageBird currently has 15,000 customers, including big brands such as Lufthansa, Heineken, Hugo Boss, Retail Cosmetics, and SAP, along with fellow scale-ups like Uber, Glovo, HelloFresh, and Deliveroo. The funding will be used to triple the size of the global team at MessageBird and further expand into its core markets in Europe, Asia, and Latin America. Notably, no US in this list. Uh, apparently, the company is not that interested in that market at the moment. So this is it for the funding part. Now let us move on to the featured interview of today's episode. So continuing the trend of interviewing people who used to work for tech.eu, this time Robin Wouters, our editor, talked to Jaime Novoa, who is arguably one of the most knowledgeable people when it comes to the startup ecosystem in Spain. Hey, this is Robin Wouters from Tech.eu, and I'm joined here remotely, of course, as usual, uh, from Galicia, Spain, this time uh, by Jaime Novoa, who used to work with us and left us, so I'm, I'm a bit pissed at him still. Uh, Jaime, what's going on in your life? Hi, boss. How are you doing? Former <laughs> boss, sorry. Uh, what's going on with you? Well, what are you up to these days? Uh, so we were just talking about this. So, I mean, as a firm, KFAN, I work for KFAN, which is early stage uh, Madrid-based uh, venture capital firm. Uh, we invest all over the place in Spain, and we also do some deals outside of Spain sporadically. Uh, but basically, I've been in Galicia, as you just said, northwest of Spain for since March. So kind of locking down myself, which is which is kind of interesting, but all good. Cannot complain. <laughs> Great to hear. And uh, you're also uh, quite famous in Spain for something else. This is a newsletter that you've been sending for quite a while. It used to be called Novo Brief, now mm-hmm. changed the name to Dealflow. Uh, so tell us about it. Yeah, it's basically, I used to run a blog called nobobrief.com, which is basically a blog in English to write about the Spanish startup ecosystem. That actually, I think it's one of the things that led me to to work with you in tech.eu for almost five years ago, I think. And basically, I ended up selling that blog, but I kept the newsletter that I already had back then. And basically, that has transformed into something that's called now dealflow.es, which is basically a weekly newsletter where I curate news about the Spanish startup ecosystem, similar to, to the great newsletter that Tech.eu has, but just focused on, on Spain. Yeah, I think that's absolutely great because there's a number of these initiatives. You know, there's one in Italy, uh, there's one I think in, in Germany also coming up, which is great for us just to keep track of like these different ecosystems. It's also great because it sort of rallies every everyone around like one one source of information for one ecosystem, which is very useful. Um, but yeah, is it still growing? Like, well, what's the newsletter uh, audience these days? Yeah, so it has like seven thousand five hundred subscribers. I mean, it, it's never going to be super big because the audience is not. I mean, the number of people who are interested in this kind of stuff in Spain or even outside of Spain, it's not that big. But I think it's a highly engaged audience and it does pretty well. I mean, it helps me to stay on, on top of things and I think it also helps people stay on top of what's going on in Spain, both like people in Spain and also, for example, like European investors who a lot of them are signed up just to keep track of what's going on because there's like more and more interest in Spain. And basically, I think it makes sense to for it to be weekly because sometimes I've thought about doing it like bi-weekly or even daily, but I mean, the Spanish startup ecosystem is not that big and there's not that many news to do to, to do a daily thing. So it's doing pretty good. And then, I mean, on top of that, it has transformed itself into a nice side business, which monetizes via sponsorships quite well. And I get to pay rent with a newsletter and it doesn't take much of my time. So three hours a week, something like that. So it's it's, it's a win-win, you know. Yeah, nice. Well, that's fantastic to hear. But I didn't uh, invite you to the podcast to talk about your newsletter only. Uh, <laughs> of course, it's always good to catch up with you uh, anyway. But I thought that we'd record for the podcast because you have such a 
a good overview of sort of what goes on in Spain because you're doing this newsletter, but also from, from your work as an investor. So, so tell the listeners, like, what is going on in the Spanish startup ecosystem? And we're, we're going to stay away from the COVID topic for now, just like in general, what's, what's the trend line for the last few years? So it's a good question. So I think, or if we think about the evolution of the startup ecosystem, I mean, one way to put it, I think it has evolved quite a bit in the past three to five years, I would say. So one of the things that happened, so 2010, 2015, is that there were not that many VCs around and there were not that many startups either, I mean, to be honest. So one of, so something that happened is that market power was held by the VCs. So basically they got to choose the companies they wanted to invest in, they, they got to choose the terms and some of them, I mean, most of the times they were not that founder friendly in a way, to put it in a way. And that has changed dramatically in the past, I would say three to five years. Uh, mostly because, I mean, there's a lot more people like running or building startups, but also there's like a, a lot more money in the market. And so basically there's more competition among VCs, which means better terms for the, for the entrepreneurs. And something else that's happening is our result, as a result of that, I, I mean, the good businesses or the good teams or the good companies or startups, uh, they get to choose the investors that they, they want in their cap table. And that means increased competition for us, which is good. And something else that we're seeing is that we're not just competing amongst ourselves, but we're also competing, at least for the better deals, with international, well, European VCs who invest earlier and earlier, especially at the seed stage, which is the, the stage that we invest in. Uh, so I think there's there's like a ton of, of seed money in the market, or there's enough seed money in the market. When it comes to Series A's and Series B, I mean, you you mostly need or want or yeah need to raise from from european investors because there's not i mean there's probably like a couple or three two or three local series a investors but i mean at that point it makes a lot more sense to go to berlin london or paris to to raise funding mm. yeah and uh, back when i was living in barcelona this is now almost like eight years ago but, but i remember then there was very clearly Madrid was sort of the capital for the tech industry and Barcelona a little bit. Um, has that changed? Has it really become sort of equal uh, between those two? Or are there other areas in Spain that are sort of coming up as well? Well, I think if you, if you look at the data that Barcelona-based companies have always attracted pretty much like twice as much investment volume than Madrid companies. And there are probably like twice as many companies raising funds every year than Madrid. I think there's several reasons for that, but the two main ones is that I think that Barcelona started producing tech companies before Madrid did years earlier. And the second one is that Barcelona, and I think you can probably attest to this, I mean, they have a more, uh, a stronger international component than Madrid has. I mean, they have, the city is, is pretty nice. They're close to the beach. They're close to the mountains. A lot of Euro young European people move there for, for lifestyle reasons. Uh, and I think that's very good for, for startups uh, and for the tech ecosystem. And it's actually pretty common to just go to Barcelona, meet early stage companies, and you, you find out that all of the founding team is from outside of Spain uh, and they're international or part of the founding team. And if, and if not, just like pretty much like 50% of the employee base is international. And I think that's very good for startups. And I don't think Madrid has that yet. I mean, we, there's there's some things that Madrid are are doing in that in that way, but it's not happening yet, and Barcelona has been doing that for a long time. So I think that's that's still true. And actually, I mean, one of the interesting things is um, uh, if you look at certain Barcelona-based companies, something that's happening is that they never raised any capital from local VCs. So, for example, companies like Typeform, Travel Perk, 
or Red Points, what Red Points did a little, but those three companies, most of the funding they've ever raised is, is international. I don't think Typeform ever raised any money from local angels or VCs, neither did Troubleperk, I think. I think that's a consequence of the of the city being so international when it comes to startups, because I don't know, second generation founders decide to move to the city for lifestyle reasons and they bring connections from their home countries or their cities and they just bypass altogether the Spanish uh, investment market, um, which makes sense because you usually get better terms outside of Spain uh, from from other funds. And that, that I think that's that's still true today and it's probably going to continue to be true. And we're actually seeing, I mean, international funds probably spend more time right now, at least in Barcelona than Madrid, although we're seeing more and more spending in Madrid. And I mean, one good thing about the Spanish market in that sense is that both cities are like two and a, two and a half hours away from each other in a train, which is good. And, and I mean, and obviously the two main hubs are Barcelona and Madrid, but something else, I mean, another city to keep to keep an eye on, we think in the in the past few in the past few years and going forward is Valencia because uh, it has similar things to Barcelona. Uh, it's obvi- obviously not as big, but it's also like much cheaper. Uh, and the lifestyle there, is, it's, it's pretty good, Mediterranean city. So lifestyle is, is amazing. And, and slowly but surely we're seeing like a lot more companies uh, be born there and grow from there. Jeff is one of them uh, who they're pretty, pretty big internationally. Uh, last week, uh, Stream Loots, which is a gaming company, announced a round led by December Venture Partners out of the U.S., which is, I think, is the fir- their first investment ever in Spain, and it's in Valencia. And then something else that a lot of people don't know about Spain is that, or about the Spanish startup ecosystem, there's a company there which is probably one of the largest, or one of the larger, yeah, Spanish startups to be to be created, which is called Flywire. Uh, and before called uh, peer transfer, and they they have like dual headquarters. Not now. I mean, now most of the employee base is in is in Boston. But they had they from the very beginning they have dual headquarters between Boston and Valencia. And still today, most of the most of the product product engineering team is is in Valencia. So we see more and more things coming out of Valencia, and I think it's a it's an interesting one to keep an eye on. Yeah, definitely going to keep tabs on that as well. Now, what about industries? Is there anything that Spanish startups do particularly well when it comes to a certain sector? Is it biotech, fintech, uh, marketplaces, uh, any specialty there, or is it all over the place? I think it's all over the place, at least for now. Uh, I do think that there's like uh, quite a few interesting biotech companies, both in Madrid and Barcelona, uh, but we mostly, and more to the pharma side. So that's more 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 biotech in the, in the pure sense. And other than that, I think uh, there's probably like a couple of sectors that, that are more popular than the rest. One, one which is travel and tourism, uh, which I think it makes sense as it's based on the fact that Spain is one of the biggest like travel destinations in the world. And before, I mean, when it comes to travel, I think at the beginning, most of the companies being born in the sector were mostly B2C. So OTAs, meta searches and all that kind of stuff or marketplaces. Um, but slowly, I mean, we're seeing like, for example, interesting B2B companies uh, in the travel space. Travel Park is one. We have a, a couple of portfolio companies called Beyond Price and, and Transparent who are also B2B SaaS travel companies. So there's more and more in the travel space. And and probably the other one I would say is probably FinTech. And, and one of the reasons about FinTech and InsurTech, and I, I would say there's two reasons for this. One is like, I mean, two of the larger or the largest banks in the world are Spanish, BBVA and Santander. And then when it comes to fintech, there's like a quote unquote obvious path to Latin America, which which many fintech companies have done before out of Spain. Uh, so I would say those two. But uh, but other than that, I think it's pretty pretty generalist, at least for now. 
Yeah. And what do you think the future is going to hold for? Because uh, you, you, know, you have these companies uh, coming up, Glovo, uh, raising all this funding. You have Idealista getting a really, really big exit not so, so long ago. Um, so is that going to be, are we going to see more of that in the future, you think? Or is it going to be more sort of a let a thousand flowers blossom and see what happens in the next five years? Well, I hope we get to see more of that because if not as funds, we're, we're pretty screwed. But I think one of the things that we need, and this comes from the thinking as, a, as an investor from the venture industry, is just, and, and this is probably the same in many other countries a few years ago, it's just bigger exits. I think having uh, or seeing outliers in terms of exits, so that's exits of more than, I don't know, 300 million, 500 million, that kind of stuff is still super rare. I don't think, I don't even think we have like one a year in Spain. And obviously the fact that there's like a, to- a lot more uh, venture capital uh, money available in the market means that there's there needs to be exits. Either there needs to be exits or uh, many of the funds that are in the market are gonna not going to be alive in 10 years when they raised fund two or fund three. So that's still a, a thing that needs to be improved or, or worked on. But I, I would say that's the main one. Yeah. And uh, what about uh, you yourself as a fund? You, I think you just closed a second fund in the middle of the pandemic. Uh, so all of that remotely. So maybe can you elaborate on, uh, on what happened this year with the fund? Sure. So basically, K Fund, I mean, the first fund was launched in July 2016. So almost five years now, well, four and a half years. And then the second fund uh, was launched in June, July of, of, of this year. So right after, well, in the middle of the pandemic or right after the lockdown. Uh, so a, a big chunk of the fundraising took place remote, uh, which is quite interesting to, 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 to raise a fund remotely. And what we do is like the second fund is 70 million euro fund. We do early stage deals. So we invest from 100K all the way to 2 million in first checks, uh, business model agnostic, sector agnostic. We mostly invest in Spain where we can do things outside of Spain sporadically. But I mean, it's been it's been an interesting time since, since in the past nine months. I mean, obviously, uh, March and April were super, super busy when it comes to helping portfolio companies because they were suffering quite a bit. And I think most of them were suffering quite a bit unless you had raised like funding in, in, the, in the previous months. But those months were quite hectic. And, and then we had the fundraising in the, in, the, in, the, in the middle as well. So it was interesting times, but now it's back to normal. And we've, I mean, out of the second fund, we've already made six deals in the past few months, in the past three months, I would say. Some of the companies we've never met in person uh, at all to date, and I think that's going to continue to be true at least for the time being. So it's been it's been fun. I mean, it's been fine and fun to be honest. So <laughs> so we were a bit scared in March and April, but now we're back to normal, and we we're we're still have the same pace as before. And does the same go for your portfolio companies? Did all of them weather the storm so far? Yeah. Your portfolio or also other startups, whatever you want to talk about. But what has been the impact of COVID? On yeah. The so, so as I said, as I was just saying, I mean, we're an agnostic fund when it comes to business models and sectors. But I think based on the based on the fact that we're in Spain, we do have a bit of exposure, for example, to the travel industry. And we have, for example, four or five travel portfolio companies. And obviously those were hit the hardest out of all, uh, just because I'm in mean, the travel industry. Uh, slow down massively. So those companies uh, are hurting or were hurting quite a bit. Um, but other than that, I mean, I guess the advice was the same as most funds, just like keep costs down and just extend your runway as much as possible because nobody knows when this is going to end or when we're going to go back to normal and when your business is going to go back to normal. So that was a general advice. But having said this, I mean, we also have like 
a few portfolio companies who have benefited from this and and they're seeing tailwinds when it comes to adoption from the market or need for their solutions or their products so it it has balanced out like pretty pretty nicely yeah yeah and what about on the overall startup because do you fear um you know what the pessimists think that a lot of these startups are going to uh, die by the end of the year and by the beginning of next year because the runway just uh, you know doesn't last very long for early stage startups in general well, I don't think so. I mean, we, we don't have that fear. Uh, I mean, we, for example, with some of the travel companies where we are a bit, I wouldn't say scared, but a bit concerned, just mostly because we don't know when the travel industry is going to go back to normal. And it might not be uh, for a few quarters or months. But other than that, I mean, we're not, we're not that scared, at least when it comes to our, our portfolio. I don't think, I don't think our portfolio companies or some of the portfolio companies who, who struggled a bit with, with the COVID situation are going to go belly up because of COVID. Uh, we don't think that's going to be the main consequence, at least for now. I mean, having said this, obviously, and if you look at Spain in a broader sense, so probably some of the larger companies out of Spain for right now uh, are are some B two C companies such as I don't know, Cabify, Globo, and some others, and and I don't know how how the whole the whole COVID situation has affected them, but maybe that's that's a concern. Yeah. Okay, well, something else uh, related but different. Um, the Mobile World Congress, of course, was famously canceled uh, this year. Uh, it was postponed till next year, but it's also been postponed a few months very recently. Um, so what do you think the impact of not having the MWC anymore? Like, imagine it just never happens again. Do you think that will be very uh, detrimental to the Spanish startup ecosystem in general and Barcelona in particular? Or That's a good question. Well, first of all, I think they were pretty clever in canceling the first one. I mean, the one last this year, because I mean, it was just a few weeks before everything exploded. So, so kudos on them for canceling it. And then, I mean, I was talking about this with 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 someone else who who's also involved in the ecosystem, and and also not just thinking about startups, but about the corporates. And one of the things that we were thinking about or discussing is what happens if all of these giants that ended up in Barcelona for 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 a week every year. Uh, realize that the fact that they do not go there doesn't affect their PNL at all, or, or their marketing, or their sales, and that kind of stuff. So I think that that's an interesting thing to think about. And, and when it comes to startups, I don't think obviously it will it, it would have an impact because I think having all that all those people there for a week uh, full of meetings helps. Uh, but hopefully, um, some other replacements will happen in terms of events. Uh, you'll expand, you'll expand your mobile Sunday to cover a whole week <laughs> and just bring people from all over the place. But, but obviously I think from a sales perspective for the startups and for, to get some visibility, uh, if there's no more mobile world Congress, it would probably affect them for sure. For sure, I think it's. I think one of the things that that I think is taken taken for granted is that a, a ton of companies, uh, I mean, were there for one week every year, and it's super super hard to to get to reach out to those people, especially have them in the same city and be able to talk to them face to face. So so getting all those people back together, I think it's it would be great. Yeah, it's quite irreplaceable, is it? But but it was also quite nice to see sort of the Barcelona. I forgot the name, but like the Barcelona community rallied yeah. around. Uh, I don't remember the name either. <laughs> it's actually funny because I was part of it and was there. Uh, but in hindsight, la, definitely glad that they actually canceled the big event because you can you just imagine how much super spreaders there would have been in those yeah. halls. What do you think? Do you think it will affect this kind of stuff? Um, so I think it will be bad for 
Barcelona as a city for the ecosystem. I oh, don't yeah, think yeah. it matters as much as it used to because, as you rightly pointed out, like a lot of them have already built sort of their international network of investors and partners and customers, and uh, so then I don't think that will have that much of an impact. But on the city, of course, it's it's a, oh yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's a huge plus that they that they lose. Yeah, from an economic for standpoint for the city, I mean, for sure that will have an impact. I mean, that no yeah. question. But those things also trickle down. Like when you have an impact on the city, it also trickles down sort of to the people that you can hire or the, the lifestyle that you mentioned might go go down a bit and might not make Barcelona as uh, as, as appealing as it used to used to be for for a lot of uh, entrepreneurs or, or you know, people working for startups. Yeah, so fair point. But that's a long term effect, and it's very difficult to see any long term effects of this crisis. Yeah. Remains to be seen, but I'm glad you are keeping tabs on the on the ecosystem, so we don't have to uh, keep doing your newsletters and uh, get all this information uh, nicely every week. Uh, and also with your work at K Fund, of course, uh, wish you all the best. Uh, thank you for coming on the podcast and sharing some of the the insights you've gained. And always good to catch up with you. Hope in person soon. Thank you, Robin. And this is it for our today's episode. Thank you for listening. I do hope that you enjoyed it. Please help us spread the word about the show. Tell a friend or colleague about us and follow our updates on Twitter at tech underscore EU. Audio engineering for this podcast is done by SoundPulse, that is sound-pulse.com. Please feel free to email us with any questions, suggestions, and opinions at podcast at techeu. For a change, I'm actually not going to talk to you next Monday, but I will be with you already this week on Friday. This is going to be a bit of an experiment uh, with the timing of the podcast, so if you have something to say about it, do let us know. But until then, enjoy your week and take care. Bye-bye.